Welcome to the first episode of Poetry P's new podcast, Poetry P Readings. My name is Patricia, as you'll know if you've listened to our firstborn podcast, The Haiku P. Why have I started this new one for you? Well, in The Haiku P, from time to time we've had readings of haiku and senryu from wonderful guest poets, but I felt they were getting a little bit lost in the poetry workshops and writing prompts, and I wanted to feature more poets, reading their own work, and of course, have a chat. I hope you enjoy this series of podcasts. Do send me your feedback via the email contacts on the Poetry P website, or Twitter of course, and spread the word. Give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts, and let other poets know that if they'd like to read a sample of their haiku or senryu, I'd love to hear from them. If you'd like to support the work I do at Poetry P, please do go to the website and buy me a coffee. All donations are very welcome. Our special guest this week is Kristen Lindquist, who's going to read from her e-chapbook, published by Snapshot Press. It always comes back. Kristen has read to us before on the Haiku P podcast. I'll put the episode in the show notes. She's an accomplished poet, who's been practising her craft for many years, and has a couple of books of her long-form poetry published. And of course, she was one of the poets featured in New Resonance 12, published in May 2021. You can find out more about her and read more of her poems on her blog, Book of Days. Link? Can you finish this sentence for me? Yes, it's in the show notes. Well, I've yapped on long enough. Let's hear from Kristin, shall we? Kristin, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you as our first guest, especially as you've got a new book to read to us. It always comes back. You and I started to talk about this reading way back last year, anticipating its publication, the book's publication. But I guess, as with many things during the COVID pandemic, 2021 it got in the way and although it feels like a long time to me I reckon it probably feels like a very long time for you to have to have waited well yeah I mean since we're, we've been in the pandemic time is just it's just an odd thing it's like you know you, you think about stuff that you think happened last year and it actually happened two or three years ago now because there was a whole pandemic in between so yeah, what is time? <laughs> I guess we're all beginning to think a bit like that. But I mean, given that you you won the award for this book um, in 2020 mm-hmm. from Snapshot, Snapshot Press, I'm guessing you started thinking about it long before you sent it into Snapshot. Yes, although probably not as long as you would think. Um, oh. I think I pulled it together pretty close to the deadline (laughs) if I'm remembering right (laughs) it was done specifically you put it together specifically for snapshot not just I did yes you said you went down to the the wire with it but you must have had some thoughts about putting the collection together how how did you go about doing that because this isn't the first collection you put together so I guess you've got some experience um it's my first haiku collection that I've put together but yeah I, I um a friend of mine had had his chat book published as an e-chat book with Snapshot Press. And I really loved the way it came out. 
And I thought, oh, I could, I could do that. I'll just pull some stuff together and I, I've got time to submit. You know? So um, that's what was the spark. And then I just started thinking, I wanted to put together a small collection that sort of said Maine. I was thinking, you know, I want to just have the atmosphere of Maine in this collection. So it was sort of an intuitive pulling from poems that had been, you know, recently published or that I'd written fairly recently that I, that I knew I liked and that felt intuitively like they went together and that all together spoke of Maine. Mm -hmm. And that's what I put together. And honestly, after I sent it off, I had, um, I'd kind of forgotten what I had submitted. I mean, I just sort of sent it off and then it just sort of went out of my brain. And then a few months later in, in October, that was July or late June. And then in October, when I heard from John Barlow that I was one of the co-winners of the award, um, I'm like, wow, what did I even, what did I send him? And I had to go back and look. And then ultimately what ends up in the published chat book, um, about half of those got changed, um, got switched out uh, when John really started to, to do a deep dive into the chat book and how he wanted to set it up. And he, uh, he actually went into my blog and looked at the last couple of years of blog, daily blog posts and pulled poems from my blog and put those in and kind of rearranged them seasonally and uh, made it made it a new little thing, but it still had the atmosphere of Maine for me. So it, it worked. I thought it worked well. Well, that's interesting. So did you have to send, because there's, there's 30 poems in it, if I remember rightly. Is, is that right? 30? 20, 24, I think. 24. Okay. Yeah. So, so you've submitted these 24 poems and then they've, some of them have been kicked out and replaced by, by other poems. The, the end result is not the one you sent. How did you negotiate your feelings about that, the changes? <laughs> well, since I, as I said, I didn't really remember what I had sent in the first place oh, because I had put it together fairly intuitively and fairly quickly. Um, I don't like to overthink these things. Um, I wasn't wedded to whatever I had come up with. And I have read um, several books that John has edited and thought they were brilliant. So um, I really just trusted his vision for it. He explained in some detail sort of what he, what's going through his head when he pulls a book together. Mm -hmm. And um, it just made a lot of sense to me. And it jibed sort of with the way I pull things together. Um, and I just, yeah, I just had faith that he would make it good and it's all my work. And I, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not one of those people that's like, this has to be my way. And this was my pure artistic vision and don't change it. So I'm, I'm pretty flexible that way. <laughs> We've nattered a little bit now, and I want to come back and talk to you a little bit more when you've done your reading, but I should first of all say a big thank you to everyone who commented on the book and sent us comments and questions because we'll, we'll do some of those we can't go to all of them because of the time we've got but uh, I hope we cover as much as we can and before I start I too want to add my thanks to yours um, to all the readers who who sent me and Patricia uh, comments on the poems who, who took the time to read the poems and then sent really thoughtful wonderful comments and uh, I really appreciated it and it really 
it really, it was, it touched me. Touched me. Thank you. <laughs> it always comes back. All day long, back and forth in the fog, the same crows. All day long, back and forth in the fog, the same crows. My long sweater, the color of forsythia, winter rain. My long sweater, the color of forsythia, winter rain. Sap moon, stepping in moose tracks to stay on the trail. Sap moon, stepping in moose tracks to stay on the trail. Departing ferry, tossed flowers drift back to shore. Departing ferry, tossed flowers drift back to shore. Morning heat, yellow daylilies spill down the hillside. Morning heat, yellow daylilies spill down the hillside. Ripe plums picked under a half moon. I saved you some. Ripe plums picked under a half moon. I saved you some. Longest day. I watched the tide come all the way in. Longest day. I watched the tide come all the way in. Glacial erratic of all the places we could be. Glacial erratic of all the places we could be. March wind, a blue tarp flaps loose on the woodpile. March wind, a blue tarp flaps loose on the woodpile. North star, it always comes back to this. North star, it always comes back to this. Thanks, Kristen. I'd love to have heard you read the whole book, Thank but you. I have more questions for you. <laughs> Thoughts. And the first one uh, I'd like to take you back to is all day long, all day long, back and forth in the fog, the same crows. And this one had, uh, as you said, quite a few comments. Take, like crows. <laughs> they do, don't they? I know you do. <laughs> so... <laughs> I've had, I picked out, I couldn't pick out every, what everyone said, but I picked out a couple. Debbie says of this poem that she felt it was a poem that should be read aloud. And as you know, I, I think all poems should be read aloud because I have a podcast after all. Absolutely. So. <laughs> but my question to you is, when you're putting them together, do you think of the sounds? Do you think of how they're going to sound out loud? Oh, ab yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I read everything. I mean, not always, not always out loud, out loud, but I, I do read everything over and over and over when I'm drafting a poem, every single change, I read it and read it and read it. Um, Cause it has to sound right as you're reading it. What right is, it's, you know, that's a whole book, oh, yeah. <laughs> in itself. but, but yeah, definitely. And, and also because I'm a big fan of euphony, as I know Brad Bennett has talked about on this podcast, and he has a, an essay in the current issue of Modern Haiku, reiterating his thoughts on euphony. I think euphony has a place in haiku, and part of 
picking up on that is reading it out loud to yourself and yeah. trying to figure out which words, which words just sound better. Yes. I'm going to want to talk to you about sound with another of the poems, about words rather, uh, later. But picking up this idea of sound and sound and rhythm, Laurie Richard also says of this poem that the placement of your words, the placement of your words evokes the most sad and lovely day watching the tide come in slowly. And I, I find that many of your poems have got this gentle rhythm to them. And from what you've said, well, you've said you listen to the sound and you listen to the rhythm, but do you set out with a rhythm in mind or is it just natural to you? Not general. I mean, it's probably, it's probably natural to the extent that I've been writing poetry for a long, long time. <laughs> it's been a big focus for, yeah, probably how old am I? Probably at least 40 years or more. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's always in my head how something sounds. I mean, I, I personally am of the belief that haiku should, uh, I'm sort of of the Basho school that the haiku should feel like ordinary language. Definitely. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that it's, that it's easy for someone to just speak a haiku, mm -hmm. um, that it doesn't, you know, it's not too convoluted. It doesn't use weird words to, mm -hmm. I mean, every rule is made to be broken, but just in general, ordinary language read in an ordinary voice. I said at the beginning that this one elicited quite a number of comments. So I've got one last one for you. And there's one from Marion here. And she says that she found that there was a tension in this poem. And that effectively suggests an underlying narrative. So my question to you on this one would be, were you aware of setting the tension in the poem? Is that something you set out to do? Uh, not consciously, but I'm sure the poem arose because I was sitting here at my desk, which has a window facing the backyard and the river and the crows go back and forth all the time. So I'm sure I was sitting here at my desk working on something for a good part of a day and just noticing the crows going back and forth on a foggy day here on yeah. the main coast. And something about that, I think, intuitively strikes me. I mean, to make it poem worthy, it has to have something, if not a specific tension, some point of interest that, I don't know, I feel would appeal to someone reading it. Mm. So, yes, not a conscious thing, but something about watching the crows going back and forth mm. on a gloomy, foggy day. Indeed. There's a lot of gray and, and dark colors in that, that image. Maybe that's some of the tension. Yes, know. exactly. Well, I mean, fog, fog in itself. I mean, you can romanticize it, but, mm. but when you experience it a lot, like we do, <laughs> I think, you know, it's, it, it can be claustrophobic. It's hiding things. It creates mystery. I mean, it, it is, it does contribute to tension in a scene unless yes. You can take it both ways. You could make it romantic and dreamy, but it can also be, you know, obscuring, hiding, mysterious, claustrophobic. Yeah. Next one I wanted to talk about, and this is, uh, as you read it, I thought, oh, here we are again. Last time you were on the podcast, I don't know if you remember, you read us a poem about, as you said, a, a buoy, I think. And yeah. I said, in, in English, English, we call it, uh, boy we've got another one of those so okay. let, me, let me read it English wise and see see what you think my long sweater the color of forsythia uh -huh. winter rain see another one 
But this is one of my favourites from the book. And I think when we started out to put this together, I wrote to you and said, oh, I'm sitting here and it's really miserable. I've got that winter rain. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish I had a, a sweater or a jumper, as I would say, the colour of Forsythia. I don't. And I went out, Kristen, I have to tell you, I went out looking, shopping for this sweater. <laughs> I should have worn it for this. You should have done, actually. We should have coordinated. But anyway, I went looking for this jumper. I have to tell you, the colour of Forsythia does not suit me. I did not buy <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with pink instead. That, that'll have to cheer me up. On a serious side, I, I love this one. I love the use of the colour because I think for me, the yellow really made a, a huge difference to the emotions between mm. the, the, the fragment and the phrase in this. And I thought that was... That was a brilliant use of, of colour. Thank you. Next one, sap moon. Now, I'm always intrigued by the mention of the moon. Let me read this one again. <laughs> sap moon, stepping in moose tracks to stay on the trail. I can really hear Maine. I imagine that you have, <laughs> you have moose, whereas we don't have moose here. But I'm intrigued by the mention of the moon. Often I, I think that people stick a moon, a reference to the moon in, and it can sound quite glib. But... I've read a few of yours and, and it always strikes me that you know what you're talking about when you're using a, a moon image. Can you remember why you used sap moon in this particular instance? Well, one, it was seasonally accurate to the moment. And two, moose tracks are big and round and they're kind of moody. They're like two big crescents together. So I don't know. I mean, that's yeah. a stretch, but I'm, I'm sure imagistically... I was thinking visually of a moose track and oh that didn't that didn't hit me at all I just thought because the sap moon I think indicates the start of spring or that you know that spring's on its way and I think it's in some other instances you could possibly use a crow moon for the yeah. same same idea which would be right up your street because I know you, you're on the, <laughs> on the crows but to me wouldn't have worked anyway near as good as as, as sap moon for this one just in case people don't know what sap moon is, when I looked it up, because I'm not really good at with, with moon um, references, I'm trying to improve, it heralds the start of spring, but it's about um, when people can start tapping the, the maple for the, the sap and make yeah. the syrup. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, I was going to say sap moon also, I mean, for me, it evokes a very specific time of year. It's, yes, when people start to get the sap buckets up on the maple trees. Um, but here in New England, it's still very much winter. <laughs> I mean, we often get our worst snowstorms in March and that's when people are tapping their trees. So um, it's sort of, it's, it's one of those combination, like a transitional season. It's still winter here. Um, but also there's that hint that spring is on the way because the trees are feeling it. So being out on a trail there's still quite a bit of snow on the trail. And you were, you were asking, asked me about this um, before we, we talked here that I'm literally stepping in the moose tracks because there's so much snow on the trail that I want to step in the packed down part where the moose has, have, have been. And the moose are on the trail because it's easier for them to walk on a trail than to just tromp through all the snow through the, the woods. So yeah. there's a, there's a lot, a lot of things, coming in together so I'm thinking of like 
the little bit of hope that there's sap in these trees that are still quite bare and leafless and don't look like they're going to wake up anytime soon. And there's snow on the ground and things are dripping and sap is drippy. And, uh, and then you've got a moose tromping through the snow and, um, trying to follow, follow the moose footsteps. And so we're both following the same trail, hoping that it will be spring soon, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's what I took from it. We, obviously, I don't have moose here, but in the same instance, mm-hmm. I hope I hope by now, by the sort of March time, the snow will have gone. There's none out there at the moment, even though we had it overnight. And so I suppose February, early February would be the time where if we had moose, I'd be stepping in the, the footsteps. So when I go out, I'm always <laughs> pleased when somebody's been out with their dog and I can sort of, and a, a, somebody with bigger feet than me. So usually a bloke, I suppose. And I'm tramping away, following the, the, the trail, just stepping in his footprints because otherwise it's a nightmare. But so I, <laughs> I was sort of, I was with you on that one. So yeah. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. that. And that's, that's very much a main, for me, that's very much, or at least a Northern New England poem. Mm-hmm. Like I think, to fully understand the nuances of it, you need to have spent time in quote unquote spring in northern New England. <laughs> no, no offense, Kristen. I hate the snow. <laughs> I'll come in autumn and see. Are the moose around then? I can... Yeah, yeah. They're running in, in the autumn. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're pretty active then. That's when they're mating. So oh, oh well, there you go. I'm coming in the autumn. <laughs> see you next year. Departing ferry, tossed flowers, drift back to shore. Again, this one had a lot of us thinking. (laughs) When I said uh, word choice, this is the poem I wanted to talk to you about, word choice, because uh, Marion raised the issue about how did you know the flowers were tossed? But I might put it another way. How did you decide the flowers were tossed? Unless, of course, you actually saw them being thrown into the water. (laughs) Well, an earlier version of this haiku was uh, departing fairy, our tossed flowers drift back to shore. Uh-huh. So um, this is one of those where the Kigo is, it's a personal one. <laughs> like no one else would know that this is in the fall, um, except for me and other people who have visited Monhegan Island. But this is a Monhegan Island poem. And when you, when you leave Monhegan Island on the ferry, people who live there or are staying there will give you a little bouquet of flowers and you have to toss it as the fairy is passing the wharf to ensure that you'll come back. It's a, it's an Island ritual. And since I'm there for half of September every year, for me, this is a September poem, but no one else would know that. (laughs) Oh no. You see, I went in a totally different direction. Uh, To me, I was, I was stuck in the middle of of an an ocean, if you like or crossing the channel and throwing out the flowers to commemorate the, the death of somebody, you know, a, mm, a memorial yeah. for that one. Yeah. So that's a much nicer idea. <laughs> All right, you said, you've just said that uh, this one's got a, a personal kigo, that it means autumn to you. It's not obvious necessarily that it's a kigo. Uh, so somebody else might pick up on that. Would you say this is haiku or senryu? To the normal, to your normal reader. and hmm. So two, two responses to this. One, I think Senryu can have Kigo. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a, a whole conversation in itself. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I will just say, just 
briefly that Brian Rickert, who's one of the editors of Failed Haiku, um, just accepted some of my poems. I won't say haiku or senryu. Because <laughs> he, he was teasing me when he accepted them that he was he was going to um, catch it from the other editors because they were the most haiku-like senryu he'd ever read with seasoned words. But he agrees with me that that some center you can ha can have season words that that doesn't disqualify them part two i think i think haiku and center you are on a spectrum and there's haiku there's center you but there's a huge gray area in between and um i uh, i was at a haiku presentation once where um about that very thing and at the end of the presentation, just talking about Senryu and what we all think it is, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't even remember who the poet was, but the poet did a reading of haiku and, and Senryu and asked us after each poem, is this haiku or Senryu? And we all had to raise our hands. And some of them, you know, we all agreed this was definitely a haiku. This was definitely Senryu. But I don't know, half or more of the poems he read, half the people thought it was and half the people thought it wasn't. So there's a huge gray area of overlap where it's just not particularly obvious. And I don't sit down and say, I'm going to write a you or I'm going to write a haiku. I just write it. And then however it turns out, I only think about it if I'm submitting it somewhere. So for example, with failed haiku, um, you know, they're accepting you. Yeah. Um, I tried to pull together my most Senryu <laughs> like <laughs> poems that I could for Brian. And uh... there is a huge spectrum of, of, of haiku Senryu. And it's, it's a topic that I'll be going into possibly, quite possibly with Brian. Longest day, I watch the tide come all the way in. Now, having said how much I enjoyed the spoken word, I think this is one that people really need to go and have a look at on the page too. And I can't really do it justice just talking about it, but just to say that lines two and three are inset from the first one, each a little bit further over. For me, this just adds to the poem. I mean, it's lovely when you hear it and the way you read it, it's got that gentle rhythm again. So you could sort of hear the tidal noise. Um, but when you see it on the page, to me, it adds to the atmosphere because it looks a bit like the waves coming all the way in and again is this a device you really thought about because it's the only the only one that we're talking about today certainly that has a different format yes um yeah I very I very rarely do that mess around with the lines unless um unless it just feels right mm -hmm. um but generally I don't I don't mix up my line spacing very much I'm very much the left flush <laughs> kind of poet um and I you know I couldn't remember what you asked me about this before and I was thinking about it it was definitely an intentional thing and I was definitely trying to mirror you know the the water um I think that that may have come out I workshop uh one-on-one -on -one quite a bit with Brad Bennett uh -huh. and I think that that may have come out of a conversation with Brad over that particular poem because he's really good at making suggestions like that. Like, oh, if you just did this, it would add this whole new level. And uh, so oh. I think I think I owe that to Brad. <laughs> we all need a Brad in our lives, don't we? Yes, we um, do. <laughs> <laughs> that 
to share him around. Actually, that that's another good point that if you do have someone that you can share ideas with, just toss them back and forward. It, you often find this, some little spark happens like that. And, um, mm. It's really valuable. Okay, so people should definitely go and have a look. <laughs> I haven't already made that point already. Go and have a look. <laughs> Next one I wanted to talk about. March wind, the blue tarp flaps loose on the wood pile. Now, interestingly, when you read this, you read it, March wind, a blue tarp flaps loose on the wood pile. Uh, is, it I, is it there in the book? <laughs> I think I got it from the book, but anyway, don't worry about it. It's oh, I gotta know. I gotta look. It's the. It's the. It is the. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know whether that makes. We could come. We'll have that. Would be another podcast to, to really yeah. look and see whether it should be the. Or, uh, I, um, I think it may have been uh at one point at one time. Yeah. I think. I think John might have edited that one to the to and the. and he because I know he did an edit he did a couple small edits to that particular poem it it has appeared in a few different forms um, and uh, the final form is is thanks to John and I guess I'm still hung up on <laughs> the old way I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I won't worry about it I won't tell him um, but this one again another uh, haiku with color in it. And I think the blue really jumped out for me and, and brought the, the whole thing to life. Again, your March wind on the wood pile and the blue tarp on the wood pile again, it felt very wintry and bitterly cold to me. And, and the blue just, again, cheered it all up and made it beautiful again. <laughs> Steve had an interesting reaction to this po poem. And he said, you don't mention snow, but in my senses, I saw snow and felt the cold, bitter wind. And he was born in Wisconsin, which you will know better than me. I haven't got a clue, really, but I, I imagine that's quite northerly. And so this brought back his memories of the cold, wintry marches, I guess, of Wisconsin. Did you have snow in mind when you were writing it? I think that I did, um, because as I said, there's generally some remnant of snow still in March and and it just if you say blue tarp to me just out of the out of the blue no pun intended um I think of a blue tarp and I picture snow on it <laughs> oh, <okay. It's> just, <laughs> which I don't know why so yes I'm sure I'm sure there was some remnant of snow or ice involved on that tarp and uh for some reason, tarps seem to be blue <laughs> around here. <laughs> but I love that it was blue because I was thinking of, you know, that March sky and how sometimes it can yeah. look so beautiful and spring-like even when there's still snow on the ground and you're still freezing in the wind. And Yeah. You know, so. We had a day like that here today. Beautiful. It snowed overnight, but the sky was a beautiful blue with those heavy sort of snow clouds coming in as well anyway that's not what we're talking about but what the point the point I wanted to make about that as well is it's really interesting when you hear a comment back from from somebody like Steve because it just shows how your reader finishes the poem off mm -hmm. you know, they, they're, they're rather important to the whole circle of, of, a, of a poem so uh, thank you, Steve, and everybody else who uh, wrote to us and, and gave us some opinions and thoughts on, on the poems. And I think I would really love it if you could finish off 
with one, one more reading of North Star, which just leaves me speechless. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, it made sense. I, I think my original manuscript had this at the end and it made sense. Um, John wanted to keep it at the end, I think, because it made sense. Sort of he arranged everything seasonally in the in the chapbook and sort of emphasizing the cycle of the seasons sort of at the end with that is one of the one of the aspects of the image of that poem. So I will end with the poem. North Star, it always comes back to this. It's beautiful. And that's Thank a great place to stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Kristen. It's been a pleasure and an inspiration, as it always is, talking to you. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you very much for joining Kristen and myself this week. You'll also find a video of the conversation on Poetry P's YouTube channel. Do go and have a watch. Subscribe too. Otherwise, you might miss something. And there's nothing nicer than a free resource, is there? Please let me know what you thought of the new podcast, and of course Kristen's reading. I'll pass the comments back to her too. If you'd like more Haiku and Senryu, do join me at the Haiku P podcast. Have a read of the show notes, and if there's anything missing, do please let me know via email. Next month, I have a multitude of voices for you to listen to. Do join me on the last Wednesday of each month for a Poetry P reading. And... If you want more Haiku and Senryu, come along to the Haiku P podcast. Until we meet again, keep writing. <laughs>